Welcome back to Dime Gaming Bros, our monthly podcast uh, where Spencer and I, Jacob, uh, talk about video games and video game news and video game movies or TV shows and a little bit of video game trivia. It's about a two-hour special every month that we do about video games because we are a couple of players, but not like like social players, just video game players. Uh, this month, it is Spencer's turn to bring the trivia that I must try to answer. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna bring it. Like, uh, I don't know. Wow. Find some funny analogy. Wow. I know. You really brought that. Uh, so, you know, you know, mirrors, the shiny objects that exist in real life. Okay. Sometimes they're in video games. Yes. Uh, there was a video game a while back that was the first video game to have a fully functioning mirror inside of it. In the code, there was a functioning mirror. Do you know what game that was? I'm going to go with Deus Ex. No. Hmm. Bit further back than that. Further back. Further All right. Further back. Cool. Well, let's roll right into your review then. So this month I played Limbo. It is a puzzle platforming game developed by Play Dead. And it was originally published by Microsoft Game Studios for the 360. Uh, it was released in 2010 on the Xbox Live. It has been ported by Playdead to other systems, including PS3, Linux, and Windows. Uh, it is also on the Xbox One, which is what I was playing it on. Uh, it is a 2D side-scroller incorporating a physics engine that governs environmental objects and the player character. It's so old that it's on the PS3? Yep. Wow. It came out in 2010, so it's... Middle of, la middle of two generations ago. Wow. It still feels weird calling it, like, last gen, last gen, because this gen is last gen 1.0. Like, <laughs> yes. it's barely, the, it's, there's barely a difference. Right. Um, the player guides in an unnamed boy through dangerous environments and traps as he searches for his sister. The developer built the game's puzzles, expecting the player to fail before finding the correct solution. Uh, they called the style of play Trial and Death and uses a lot of gruesome imagery for the boy's death to steer the player from unworkable solutions. Uh, so there is, this is a 26 or 27 level or section or phase game. It's all one straight shot all the way to the end. Obviously not everything is loaded right from the beginning, but there are no loading screens or anything like that. Uh, you can just keep playing nonstop. There's actually an achievement for completing the entire game uh, in one sitting with under five deaths, which I have not nailed yet. I'm working on it. Um, the entire game on my first playthrough took four hours or so collectively. The game basically pauses for you. It doesn't, uh, when you close out the game, at least on Xbox One, or the Xbox series consoles, which play Xbox One games, which is playing a 360 game, it... It, when it closes out the game, it immediately brings you back into where you were, like kind of like quick resume, the current feature, but it just, like the game never, I'm assuming because the file size is so small, it's really easy to keep running in the background or whatever, but the, the game doesn't stop. It just pauses itself for you, so you don't have to reload into your location. It'll stop exactly where you stopped. Mm. Um, I played it in like three or four sessions primarily, uh, get, you know, a good chunk done each time before I start getting really frustrated. Uh, and exactly like the description says, it's mostly play playing uh, for failure. You uh, bounce around 
going. This game is known for basically being like hold right to win, which is not true. This game's actually pretty tricky. Which I said when you said you were going to review this, but then you've talked about having died several times, so I'm intrigued. It's not easy. It's not super hard by any means. If you've played a puzzle platformer, you'll probably be able to get through it pretty easily, but it's certainly not like you just walk through. It's not a walking sim or a the choose-your-own-adventure game where you like, can't really lose. Um, I probably died a good hundred times on my first playthrough. Wow. It's a pretty normal part of the game. You die on a lot of stupid things, for me, in particular, especially towards the beginning. It's trying to figure out... Uh, ah, you touched the thorny bush! Basically. It's the figuring out what the game tells you is dangerous versus what is your imagination playing with the game engine. Uh, it, the entire game is in black and white and shades of gray, so sometimes there are some things which are a little hard to see if it's uh, w where in your depth of field it is, whether it's in the foreground or the background, whether it's an interactable element or it's just something that's there. Um, so it, the first bit can be a little rough, just getting used to the controls and the physics engine, but after that it plays fairly smoothly. It takes trial and error to understand how the parts need to move throughout the different traps and um, gameplay segments, but it, it it's pretty straightforward. Um, I think now on my what'll be second playthrough, I will probably finish in about two hours. Uh, it seems like the internet consensus is between two and five for first couple of playthroughs. 100% completion uh, is, you know, four probably. Uh, there are, on this version of the game, about 10 Easter eggs. You find them and they literally crunch like eggs. Um, that unlock specific achievements um, on Xbox. And then in the original version of the game, and I believe these were removed on the ported versions, are uh, secrets. There's, I think, about 10 or 15 of them. They're just not something I can access. I kept trying to get to them. Uh, I looked up a handful of them, and just none of them were working, so I'm assuming they were removed for the console port, like the most recent version. Hmm. Um but the Easter eggs were all pretty nice. They A couple of them were really easy to find. Like, the first one is literally walking to the left at the beginning of the game instead of to the right. You just go into, Classic. like... Yeah, legit, just going in the direction the game is telling you not to. That's what most of them are. Um, only a few of them are uh, obtained by completing a puzzle or something like that. Uh, the game is really primarily focused on emotional storytelling, despite the fact that it is a platformer with a character who has no expressions except two eyeballs. Like, so your character is fully blacked out. It's a silhouette. He just has two blinking white eyes. Most of the other characters, quote-unquote, in the game, or more like gameplay mechanics, look the same. Uh, there's a giant spider in the game. That's pretty well known. Uh, that takes over a couple of segments of gameplay. There's some other people, question mark. There's a lot of creatures that you run around. Uh, some of them are interactable. Some of them are not. Uh... The game is very open-ended in its premise and also its execution. Uh, you can interpret it a thousand different ways, from sun with from sunrise to sunset. You know, it could be literally this boy has plunged himself into limbo to save his sister from an untimely death, or uh, this is a person searching for companionship throughout their entire life and desperately trying to find some sort of solace in the presence of another person, but never finding one until the end. Like, there's so many ways to interpret it. It just depends on the way you're looking at it. Mm. Um, the gameplay is all tight for the most part. There are very few times where I had uh, issues with control. The physics engine is definitely an early, you know, 2010 physics engine, but it works well for what it needs to. 
There are a lot of interactable elements. There are balls, boulders, uh, dead body parts from various creatures, boxes, lots of boxes, uh, ropes, chains, um, all sorts of fun stuff. There's a couple of gra uh, zero gravity or uh, inverted gravity segments. There's a lot of gear switching and uh, gate turning on, and it's a lot of fun stuff. Um, the gameplay just really is straightforward. Um, if you get stuck, if you come back, you'll probably figure it out. Or a game, like looking up a, a guide on the internet will be, make you go, duh. It's not really that complex. It can just be really difficult to get the timing on. Uh, your deaths reset you back like 25% of each chapter. Uh, the chapters are all broken up very vaguely. Like I said, it's kind of just one complete narrative from start to finish. So if you die, you might get reset right exactly where you died, or you could get reset, you know, three seconds of gameplay back. It just depends on where you end up. Um, the score is phenomenal. A lot of the storytelling, um, the, the emotion and atmosphere is done through the musical score and the sound effects. The traps are very loud and abrasive. You have saws, uh, bear traps, spike pits, boulders, all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, and they're all very loud and uh, they cut through the sound mix very effectively. It's a very auditory-based game. Uh, your just general pitter-patter of feet is always present. It changes depending on what surface you're on, you know, basic stuff. Um, ooh, when you step on grass, it sounds different than when you step on metal. But when you're jumping into this really, say, a segment that's all in a big metal contraption and you're just hearing the reverb of your, of your echoing footsteps on this massive behemoth of a machine with nothing else living there, it gets pretty depressing. Um, it's very fun, though, despite the fact that it has a very depressing overtone, especially when backed up by the musical score. Um, the fun factor is definitely there. I like puzzle games. I like side-scrollers. They're not my favorite thing in the world. You know, everyone grew up playing frickin' Mario, so everyone has a bit of familiarity with a platformer, but I tend to like these sub-10-hour, $5 indie game side-scroller things. They're kind of a weakness of mine. Um, this game, I believe, originally launched for somewhere around, like, $20. I bought it for 5 on a sale on the Xbox One slash Xbox Series X storefront. Um, it's been up for free for games with gold multiple times, from what I'm aware of, and probably with the PlayStation free games as well. Uh, like I said, it's like a, it's a 12-year-old game, uh, but it holds up very well. The resolution is nice. It's crisp visually as well as control wise the presentation is very uh tight there isn't much there it's i wouldn't say bare bones but it is certainly made by an independent studio of probably like 10 people it's simple yeah and i really appreciate the simplicity um i think only rage quit like once there's <laughs> one trap that was really kicking my ass uh i, I it just was not was not working uh, but that was when I discovered that the game picks up right where you left. So that was my first first playthrough. I got through probably eight sections in my first jump, and then section eight or nine was just kicking my butt. And then when I came back the next day, I was like, oh, it's right where I am. It didn't, you know, there is no save file or uh, most recent checkpoint that the game tells you anyway. It's obviously their checkpoints. But uh, I liked it quite a lot the environmental storytelling was nice it's spooky it's not too in-depth that is something which i think a lot of platform puzzle games can kind of 
get a little full of themselves. Something like the the Ori games are very nice. They have the same sort of simplicity to them, but something like Super Meat Boy, which I do really like, it, those games that are really difficult can get really full of themselves, and sometimes it just becomes like nearly impossible to beat. They're convolutedly, like you have to watch walkthroughs of professionals playing them to figure them out, and that's something I strongly dislike. Uh, not that Cuphead got that rough, but Cuphead led to a uh, a bit of a resurgence of that type of side-scroller, where it's like, you have to play this a thousand times to get it right. It's really tricky. You're going to look on the internet. I like being able to figure it out on my own. And this game allowed me to do that with minor exceptions here and there. This was the precursor to Inside, right? It is. Uh, Inside was released six years later. Um... It is the successor to Limbo. I don't know if it's the same team or the same developer, but it is at least a... Uh... Okay, it is another Play Dead game, yes. Do you have intentions on playing that one next or uh, soon? Maybe not next or soon, but definitely on my list. Another Another side-scrolling puzzle game is always welcome in my book. Uh, so for buying this for five bucks, probably like a year ago, it's been sitting in my downloadable library for ages, uh, and providing a week, a week's worth of fun, you know, three or four game sessions, definitely worth it. Uh, recommend it. It's fun. There isn't much else to it, and I, I appreciate that. Excellent. Would you buy the soundtrack? Maybe. If I could find it on disc, then potentially. I, use, I do have it on other playlists with other things, but I don't know if I would buy it. I don't know if it's good to listen through all the way. I've just listened to certain sections of it. All right. It's been a fairly quiet news month, thankfully. Uh, last last couple of months have been kind of loud and obnoxious. So, uh, starting off with a tweet from the Ephesian... Ephesian. It's the Ephesian Netflix Twitter. A tweet from the official Netflix Twitter account. Bioshock, our live-action feature film adaptation of the renowned video game franchise, will be directed by Francis Lawrence, uh, known for I Am Legend, The Hunger Games, Catching Fire, and Slumberland, from a script written by Michael Green from Logan, Blade Runner 2049, and American Gods. Uh, this is a lot of info. Logan and, and Blade Runner 2049 are some of our favorite movies, yes. so very trusted... Uh, uh, script writer. Quite. I'm kind of iffy on the director because I've seen one out of the three and yeah, it's fine, I yeah, guess. Yeah, fine. Um, I'm more interested with the fact that they're making it a film instead of a series. I think if almost every single game adaptation of the past good chunk of time has been a show for the most part, so I'm yeah. glad that they're doing a movie. A movie. Hopefully it goes well. Yes. Hopefully it does not try to recreate the same events of the game, because the twist will mean nothing. The yes. really good twist that those games have will mean nothing if you already know they're coming. So exactly. Hopefully they'll use the environment and write some sort of a slightly unique narrative. A new twist. Twisty. And above all else, please do not be uncharted. Uh, from PCGamer.com, Striking Distance Studios boss Glenn Schofield made an appearance at today's opening night live showcase for Gamescom to show off some fresh gameplay from the upcoming horror game, The Callisto Protocol, and its new system of mutations that will enable enemies to transform into bigger, badder, faster, meaner, that's a direct quote, opponents if they are not quick killed quickly 
the Callisto Protocol is set to come out on December 2nd. So I had no idea this was coming, but this legit looks like Dead Space, but now, and I'm very interested. It has a, a, a built-in hub, HUD, HUD, uh, the ammo count and all that fun stuff is built into the world, and the just the, the vibes, man. Third-person action game against zombie alien mutating thingies with funny guns. We were watching the footage before we started recording, and uh, this was sort of on my radar, and I'm confident to say somebody that worked on Dead Space is making this game, whether it be the writer or the director or, or dev studio or somebody. Somebody. Somebody definitely came out into the public and said, yeah, I'm basically doing Dead Space again, <laughs> but Fine better. Fine by me. Yes. Been missing Dead Space for a while. Still really hoping that that remake does turn out well. Yes, me too. Um, it's interesting that Callisto Protocol and Dead Space Remake are releasing fairly close together, too. Oh, boy. A game seemingly stated to be a spiritual successor to Bloodborne, Lies of P, has released a gameplay trailer and two 11-minute gameplay clips during Gamescom 2022. The game's official summary reads as follows. You wake up at an abandoned train station in Krat, a city overwhelmed by madness and bloodlust. In front of you lies a single note that reads, Find Mr. Geppetto. He's here in the city. Play as Pinocchio, a puppet mechanoid, and fight through everything in your path to find this mystery person. But don't expect any help along the way, and don't make the mistake of trusting anyone. You must always lie to others if, you're, if you hope to become human. The game is being developed and published by Neowitz, and releasing sometime in 2023. This was announced a year ago, I had no idea it was coming, and I'm kind of nutting all over it. So... To say it's a spiritual successor to Bloodborne is very misleading. What do you mean? It's got a steampunk look to it. Similar attack-oriented gameplay. And it is a Soulsborne-like. That's pretty much where the similarities end, as far as I could tell. That still counts, though. Spiritual successor just means it has the same like vibe, and it doesn't have to be made by the same studio. Like, uh, I mean, it doesn't some... have the same vibe, though. I don't I think, think it's got a pretty close vibe. It's kind of similar, but it it's Pinocchio. It's not um, uh, Lovecraftian Edgar Allan Poe horror. Love, Lovecraftian horror. It, it eh. it's more steampunk. It's brighter. I guess it doesn't like have the, the same vibe. I like the I don't vibe think. though. Yes, the, I do dig it. The, the vibe gameplay, of this is cool. The gameplay looks pretty clean. I did watch both of the, the total of tw like twenty minutes of footage. It looks pretty solid. It's there's a, a super move called Puppet String that launches you. It, it's like a hook shot or something that yeah. launches you towards the enemy. That's pretty cool. I like the fact that instead of it being like about you being a puppet, obviously the the steampunk esque. Aesthetic being based on the fact that you're a mechanoid is pretty cool But I like the fact that the story is telling you that you're just gonna need to lie to everybody So it's not like oh his nose is gonna grow in the game. It's more like Character stuff. I like that. It, I want to know where the hell this Pinocchio renaissance is coming from because we have three upcoming Pinocchio films. There's a <sighs> Disney live-action remake which looks bad. There is 
Guillermo del Toro's version, which is based off the uh, public domain version, which looks freaking gorgeous. And then there's this other random animation studio, which is making this garbage-looking rip-off movie, which Pinocchio has, like, femboy voice. It's very bad. It's very bad. So where's, where's all this attention to Pinocchio coming from? The story summary saying that he has to lie to everybody makes me wonder if there's going to be uh, morality choices to the game, maybe? That would be maybe. cool. yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I would like to get a closer, re uh, a specific release date, but it definitely looks pretty polished. First coming out sometime at least like four or five months from now. The Game gameplay was pretty pretty polished. Gameplay reminded me quite a bit of the Surge. Yeah, can see that. Which is not a good or bad thing. It's just a statement. From PCGamer.com. A rumor surfaced earlier this year claiming that 2K Games' studio Hangar 13 was working on a new Mafia game under new leadership following the departure of longtime president and chief creative officer Hayden Blackman. Now it is official. In an interview posted at MafiaGame.com to mark the 20th anniversary of the original Mafia general manager Roman Hladkick Hladic finally confirmed that it is happening. Uh, quote, I'm happy to confirm we've started work on an all-new Mafia project, Hladic said. While it's a few years away and we can't share anything more right now, we're really excited to keep working on this beloved franchise and to entertain our players with new stories. The May rumor indicated that the new Mafia game will be built in Unreal Engine 5 rather than the proprietary engine used for the previous games, and more interestingly, it will reportedly be a prequel to the existing trilogy. The series has hopped around historically between games from the early 1930s to the original game to the turbulent late 60s of Mafia 3, so it's not entirely unexpected that the studio would opt for yet another era for the fourth game. My guess, if it's a prequel, they're going to the mid to late 20s. Ple Peaky Blinders style. Yes, for sure. It would also track that they released the anniversary collection and all the remastered updated ones. To build hype for a new game? Four, exactly, because Whoa. 3 came out in 2017, 18, I think. So it's been a few years. They've had time to, you know, get used to Unreal Engine 5, which I think has been out for like two years now. Um, so it definitely makes sense, publicity-wise. Um, hopefully they've given it enough time, because from what I heard, Mafia 3 wasn't a slam dunk. So hopefully they've taken the time to, uh, listen to criticism from the last game before they pump out another one. From Kotaku.com, Good news, PlayStation Call of Duty players. Microsoft says you get to have several more years of playing the shoot-bang game on your Sony console. According to The Verge, earlier this year, Microsoft's Xbox boss, Phil Spencer, made that commitment to PlayStation boss Jim Ryan in a letter, in a written letter saying that Call of Duty wasn't going to disappear off the PlayStation storefront anytime soon if Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard is approved by regulators. Quote, in January, we provided a signed agreement to Sony to guarantee Call of Duty on PlayStation, with feature and content parity for at least several more years beyond the current Sony contract, an offer that goes well beyond typical gaming industry agreements, end quote. Phil Spencer, head of Xbox, told The Verge. While exactly how long, several more years, 
might be is unknown. PlayStation players who feared that the Call of Duty franchise would become Xbox exclusive alongside the likes of Bethesda's upcoming space action RPG Starfield can breathe easy for at least a little while longer. I think this is pretty well expected because, as we're going to see later, there's another thing from Phil Spencer. I think they're de-emphasizing exclusives. I think Microsoft just wants to be getting their fat paycheck off of the games that are on other consoles, which makes sense. Um, that I, was the game you were talking about earlier. Yeah, I, I was, that was this, it was this, I knew what you were talking about. I just couldn't remember what the fuck it was. Um, I tried listening to a podcast that I've listened to for several years now about video games, and the two idiots were arguing about the Xbox owning Call of Duty and what that could mean, and it was so frustrating. I'm so sick of hearing it about it now. It doesn't make sense for Xbox to make Call of Duty an exclusive. They will make so much more money having it on everything. The point is that they would just collect from every game sold, for every sure. copy sold, instead of selling consoles. Yeah. The, the math doesn't work out. <laughs> I think, obviously, so obviously they're committing to at least a few more years. Obviously, you don't want to set everything. To see instead. how it works out. If they do end up going with some form of ex exclusivity, I'm thinking it would probably be some slight limited exclusivity. Like, um, they were, they had with Sony for a couple of games. It was, like, a month ahead of time. Or potentially, like, primary multiplayer is locked to Xbox, but the their... Um, free-to-play version, the their Warzone, or whatever the newest version of Warzone is going to be at that point, which you can get for free, but if you buy the game, comes with a shit ton more stuff, will then be across all consoles, so they can still get a lot of the market. Even if they do like my, my nasty, terrible ex did with Destiny, PlayStation had exclusive weapons for six months, yeah. or like... They PlayStation got the DLC for two months before Xbox did or whatever. Like that's that's nothing. That's it's not easy. gonna be exactly. It's not gonna be anything huge. Uh, it would just it would be a waste of money for them. From Kotaku.com, Phil Spencer, as previously stated, the head of Xbox right now, recently described the progress of Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard as heading in a quote positive direction, end quote, as the company awaits regulatory approval of the deal that would see it owning wildly popular franchises such as, you guessed it, Call of Duty and World of Warcraft. He also believes that we're likely to see exclusives play less and less of a role in the console space moving forward. These comments come after Xbox recently acquired Bethesda Softworks, making upcoming highly anticipated games like Starfield and The Elder Scrolls VI console exclusive to Xbox and seeks to finalize the aforementioned Activision deal. We all know that consoles are probably on their last legs. We're, we might get one more generation after the current one, and at that point we're just buying, we're straight up just buying computers. Like, the companies will keep making the games and selling the games and distributing the games, but consoles are dying, so it makes sense that to some extent or another, exclusivity is going to be on the way out. They're now prioritizing owning, you know, X amount of the market that has all of these devs, and then once the time comes, they'll just keep making the games for whatever quote-unquote consoles are available. It makes sense, because consoles don't sell, like, the, the console war's kind of over. Not, like, entirely. There's still the, the weeby rivalry between the fan bases, but, like, no one really cares anymore. They're, you buy the, like, 
half of PlayStation's games are available on, like, PlayStation's exclusives are available on PC now, and most of Microsoft's exclusives from Xbox are also on PC. What boggles my mind is that, yes, they are technically speaking the same on paper. The normies, the mainstream people, don't, aren't computer whizzes. So they want the ease of plug in the power cord and push the power button on my controller. For sure. Like, that's going to be something they're going to have to overcome if the consoles are going to die. Oh, absolutely. Because I, PC is not there. No, but I think the biggest thing for me that's, that's helped me understand that, that uh, PC is not necessarily dominating exactly, but it's on its way up is... Honestly, the streaming culture that we've had for the past few years, like, everyone's just playing shit on PC. And that doesn't mean every person who's playing, what you know, you get uh, Splitgate, Valo, you know, freaking um, Overwatch, like, whatever. Most of them, a lot of people still play them on consoles and stuff when available. But the majority of people between the ages of, like, 15 and 25... Half of them stream on Twitch and, like, watch stream... They all know how to run OBS. They can all set up a PC pretty easily. So the mainstream people are going to be behind on that for a few more years for sure. But, like, every 17-year-old now knows how to run 15 operating systems inside their computer to stream to five different services to make a living. Like, it's pretty easy at this point. So, like the hardcore gamers aren't going to stop giving a shit. Like, that that part of the console war is over. It's not, mm. you're an inferior gamer because you like God, God of War. It's like, okay, we all like the games we like, whatever. We can all play them on PC if we want to. The The voice chat compatibility is across everything now because Discord's running on everything. Um, you know, give it five, ten more years tops. Like, yes. I think the, they'll still manufacture... I think they're going to basically just turn into pre-built PCs. Like, Pretty much. They're, they kind of already are. In terms of internal specs, they're basically just computers with an interesting user interface you can use with a controller. But the next gen or the gen after that, they're just going to be Xbox-branded computers that are just set up in a way for Xbox users that like they're used to. You know, So yep. it'll, it'll be like Alienware. They make overpriced computers that you could have assembled for half the price, but you don't have the time or energy or knowledge, and you'll still buy it. So I think that I definitely think that's on the horizon. So it makes sense that the console exclusive are like, eh, for this gen, once we get the ones that are in development, like, you know, the the games from Bethesda that are currently in the middle of production or uh, the new Fable game that's coming, you know, once that stuff is kind of out the door, I think is when it's going to really dip down. From Kotaku.com, Quantic Dream just announced their newest narrative experience at Gamescom, Under the Deep. This underwater diving game is made in collaboration with the France-based Parallel Studio. Details are scant at this time. The moody trailer suggests an introspective journey showing deep-sea divers swimming with sea life and navigating underwater facilities while a narrator pontificates that silence is full of ghosts and that here voices can only come from the deep. This imagery is in some ways reminiscent of that in James Cameron's 1989 existential thriller The Abyss. Uh, I like water games, I like water, I like cinematic experiences that cost twice as much as they should be because the gameplay is five hours long. I'm probably going to buy it. I like I like it. Wow. That's all I got. <laughs> I got nothing on it this one. It looks pretty. I like it. It's moody. Mm. I'm a sucker for shit like this. From Kotaku.com. 
the sequel for Tales from the Borderlands is out October 21st, 2022 for consoles and PC. Fans have long wait fans have long wanted a sequel to Tales from the Borderlands, the 2014 narrative game developed by Telltale. It's long held up by fans as the most riveting story in Borderlands canon, one that never got the sequel it deserved. But there's some trepidation. This sequel is being spearheaded in-house by Gearbox rather than by the developers of the original. Telltale, meanwhile, having risen from the ashes like a phoenix in 2019, is making a game based on The Expanse, Amazon's hard sci-fi space opera. At Gamescom, Gearbox head Randy Pitchford said that new tales from the Borderlands will feature new characters and a new story. Pitchford also noted that some members of the original game's creative team worked on this one as well. Cool. I uh, like Tales from the Borderlands. Honestly, this one kind of looks better than the original. I have minimal exposure to the original, but the fact that it's the original developers and some of the original writers making it just gives me good vibes all around. And that Telltale is going off the deep end and sucking off Amazon making The Expanse seems like a terrible idea in many ways. So, I have pretty pretty good feels for this one. Yeah, none of the characters seem to be the ones from the original game, which I did play. I liked it. I have played the first three Borderlands games. I like them. They're fine. There's nothing about it that really gets my attention, but this one does certainly seem to be a technological improvement on the last one. I'm assuming because it's a direct sequel, or a, a, a not a direct sequel, just a sequel. I'm assuming it's going to be a similar sort of choose-your-own-adventure gameplay, which is fine. I'll play it, I'm sure, when it's $20. There was a weird flash in the teaser of, like, a Street Fighter kind of fight in it, which is quite odd, but fits with Borderlands' humor of, let's do a completely different genre of a game for a second, just yeah. to get a lull. So, whatever. What year did this game with the first Operating Mirror come out. 96. Ooh. Because I was going to guess Half-Life, but that was 98. You're getting closer, though. So, what if it was the original Prey? No, but you're getting closer. Dang it! That was the fun thing, was the uh, Prey and it's the current quote-unquote version that just came out a few years ago, they have nothing to do with each other. No. The main developer said, I don't know why we named the game this, the studio said we had to do it, and it's haunted us ever since. Yes. <laughs> uh, no. Getting close, though. Um, so, we also watched uh, The Cuphead Show, with an exclamation point, uh, season one. Wait, wait, wait. Cuphead, exclamation point, the show? Or Cuphead? The Cuphead Show, exclamation point. Whoa. Uh, came out earlier this year in February, was the first season of 12 episodes, and then uh, season two, we'll be discussing next month, uh, came out a few weeks ago. Um, so this is a, like, Y7, basically just the cartoons that this game is based off of slash inspired by from the 20s, 30s, 40s, the, you know, 
black and white goofy animation we're gonna shoot a potted plant or like whatever like those just goofball shorts is basically all this thing is this isn't an adaptation of the games it's not even really inspired by the games it involves the two main characters of cuphead and mugman every once and in a while uh, you'll see uh bosses from the game as other characters in the story but they're they're just throwaway characters it's more of a cool reference for the adults basically that have played the game that's the biggest thing with this show that i i genuinely don't understand i could, i like it it's actually it's got a good bit of quality to it it's nothing stupendous but like it's good who is this for? Right? <laughs> I understand that the game is inspired by those cartoons, which a lot of people who would have been playing the game might have watched as a kid. But it's difficult. Yeah, like, I don't watch those now. Those don't hold up. I don't watch Popeye now. Like, they I'm don't hold the, up that great. The game is difficult. Right, it's not for kids. It's for, it, it, you know, yeah. 15 plus probably. And the show you can watch as a 15 plus... And you'll get a couple of Easter eggs, but there's nothing else here for you. No, it's for it's, children. It is just general child slapstick. It that's it. It literally felt like SpongeBob to me. I would. It is minimum lower than SpongeBob. No, no, I'm saying minimum exposure to SpongeBob. I would say Cuphead is SpongeBob. Mugman is is Patrick, and and Father Kettle or whatever is is Squidward. I guess like. It's the same basic relationships between the three people. I just don't understand who made these decisions. Not because they're all bad decisions, but because, like, whose idea was this? Who hired writers to put in this much effort to something for a property that no kid gives a shit about? Right. That, like, isn't going to make the developers of Cuphead any really, like, any more exposure. No one's going to play Cuphead because they watched this show. They might, but maybe they'll get their ass handed to them. Yeah, like I like it's fine that it exists as like another, you know, oh look, it's like half decent entertainment for kids that isn't just fart jokes. Like that's fine. I just don't get well, like why they would do that in, in general. The opening theme is amazing. It is very catchy. Fantastic performance by somebody that I did research on and pretty much couldn't find anywhere. Like no name performer. Yeah, great job. The uh, the voice acting in general is pretty solid. It's fine. There's nothing that really stood out for me. Nothing. None of it was bad. None of it was like oh, I know that person. There was none of it that was like so convincing. You know, it's a it's an animated property. The animation looked really good. It seemed to change styles a bunch of times. Yeah, that was kind of weird. In in shots, it, it, sometimes it felt like a, a model that they were pushing the camera through, and other times it felt drawn or CG'd or quite weird. Yeah, that's, like, legitimately all I have. But it looked good. It did look good. It definitely looked like it was high effort. This is the least amount of pain we've had watching a video game show or yeah. movie. For several months now. This is uh, this is true. It's the lowest pain, but also like lowest the lowest amount. Yeah, lowest amount of interest. Lowest amount of potential. Uh, I had I had interest in it. Like I watched all three, uh, all twelve episodes in probably four or five sittings. 
I just don't like. There's no. There's no hook to it, really. No, there's nothing. There to isn't keep like you watching. A, yeah, it's not like it's actually like an SNL skit or like ooh they say fuck like there's there is nothing here to keep my interest aside from aside from pretty good animation. That's it, and but it's not like so artistic where it's like, whoa, this was not intended for me, but this is just so enrapturing. You're like, it's fine. I was scrolling through Reddit half of the time, and you got a couple of, <laughs> yeah, got a little bit. Of... <laughs> that's that's it. Yes. Uh, I assume the the thing next next month, next season, it's going to be the exact same response. The balls of the show writers to leave it on a cliffhanger, though. With, uh, with, uh, with, uh, what's-her-face? The goblet chick. The goblet chick. That's her new official name. No. <laughs> goblet gal. That's not true, but it would work. I don't remember. Like, that. that's how much I remember. I'm like, yeah. Uh... But also, considering they pumped out another season in, like, three months, uh, it, uh, would you really call those balls? Like, what are you going to do, upset some six-year-olds? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I've watched far more interesting TV shows that don't end on a cliffhanger. Yeah. You're killing me. I want to, I want to, I, I don't remember, dude. I now, I do want to go watch some other cartoons from my childhood, but... That's really it. The show just reminded me that there are, like, shows that I used to be attached to, which I have no idea how well they hold up now. And that's it. It's a sense of curiosity more than anything else. Uh, definitely better than Resident Evil. Definitely better than Halo. But, uh... Yes. I would rather watch a compilation of the cool Halo clips on YouTube than I would, than I would an episode of this. Because at least when Halo was really fun, it was pretty fun and high effort. But this is like, there is no, there's no capability for this to be anything more than what it is, really. It's kind of trapped by what it is. Yeah. It's not, even if it was an adaptation of the game or whatever, there isn't anything else there. They didn't use their powers from the game at all. The finger guns or the, the repost move, whatever you want to call that, where you hit anything pink and get something cool. Didn't mean it that way. We can't have kids and their finger guns. It's too dangerous. Uh, moving on. What a, what a, what 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 genre game is a first-person shooter? Don't tell me it was Halo. No, it was in the '90s. Halo came out. Halo Combat oh, Evolved yeah, came out in 2001. Suck my nuts. Uh... Oh, Duke Nukem. Just Duke Nukem. Hmm? Is that is that your final answer? Ugh, I don't freaking know. There were so many copies of Duke Nukem, the the first game, but it was one of the Duke Nukems, huh? Yes. Dang. And now a message from our sponsor. <laughs> your mom. Bruh. What have you been? been playing this past month my good sir well marvel's spider-man colon miles morales was developed by insomniac game games insomniac games 
published by Sony Interactive Entertainment way, way, way back in 2021 for the PlayStation 4 and 5, and recently on Windows. It is a sequel slash spin-off to Marvel's Spider-Man from 2018. Dang. The story is... I Peter... can't believe that came out four years ago. The story is Peter Parker has been training Miles for about a year now in the ways of the spider. Peter suddenly has to go away because the story says so and leaves Miles in charge of New York City. We get an encounter with Rhino as the training level, which was cool. You get to steer the Rhino around and smash into shit. Uh... After that, a group calling themselves the Underground shows up all over town, and they are making moves against Roxxon Energy. Miles has the classic Spider-Man dilemma of having to balance his personal life with his superheroing. That's pretty much where I'm going to leave the story. Just, yeah, I'll get into it. Visuals. There's a lot of spoilers in that story. Yes, there are. Visuals are buttery smooth. I didn't have any complaints except maybe that the AI behaves kind of wonky sometimes, and the AI was pretty dumb, to be honest. Was uh, it worse than 2018? I don't... Yeah, probably. I don't remember 2018 super well. I 100 percented it, but that was a while ago, like probably 2018. Dang. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I remember because you were sending me updates whenever you were playing it. It was like, it is the only game I have 100%ed. The only? Seriously? Like, Platinum wow. Trophy. Dang. That's the only one. Wow. Wow. It's a good one to do it for, though. It was easy, too. Yeah, it's not too much of a collectible fest, but there's yeah. like a lot there, too. And there was a lot of detail, too. Now that it's on PC, I'm going to probably have to play it. They love me. Sound design. Sound is great. You can hear the squeak of your shoes as characters walk down a hallway or a sidewalk. Weapons have the right amount of punch. Characters, including Miles, definitely had a limited number of shout-outs. They would uh, repeat themselves a lot, and that got pretty grating when I was sneaking around trying to do all my stealth takedowns. Every single time I strung a guy up and smashed his forehead off an I-beam and, and, and left him there swinging, Miles would say like the same line over and over and over again. It was very annoying. Or like... The enemies would be like, there's a spider in here, we gotta find him! All the time, just running in circles waiting for me to take him out. Fair. Uh, it is an accurate statement, though. There is a spider in here. Web slinging sounds slinky. The soundtrack was pretty interesting, and I'm confident you, Spencer, would enjoy it. It is all the way up your alley. I know. I want you to name drop... There's a song in this in this soundtrack from an artist that we both follow. I yeah. want you to name drop it so I can put it in the edit because I want to. I don't know the name of the song, but it was so funny because I was playing the game and hit the end of a chapter and started swinging away as Spider-Man and all of a sudden there was Lecrae playing and I was like, what? What? Lecrae? Yeah. Suddenly Lecrae. This is cool. Uh, he has two songs in the soundtrack. Yes, he does. Uh, where We Come From. This is where we come from. Yeah, we did it. City on my back, I'm committed. And this is my time. Here we go. Got my position, let's hit the road. Alongside Jaden Smith. Not yes. on the same songs, but Jaden Smith also has songs on this thing. On the soundtrack. I remember when this was announced well before the game was out. It, That's I, a big deal. I texted you, like, suddenly walking... Or, no. 
I'm walking away and suddenly Lecrae in this game and you're like, oh, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. I knew exactly what you were talking about. I was <laughs> shocked. Is Shocker in this game? No. Oh. Prowler is, though. I would think. If he's not, that would be kind of dumb. This game tried something new by including podcasts that Miles would listen to as he's swinging around. There were a bunch from a show called The Danacast and a bunch of mad ravings from J Jonah Jameson. Classic. This is an interesting concept to try to include, but I was moving through town so quickly that... I'd start a new encounter or finish with an encounter and need the next line in the story. So almost every single podcast clip got cut short with story. The same can be said about a the same can be said about a bunch of audio collectibles and phone calls Miles makes to his friends and family. For gameplay Fighting is fun with simple controls that can stack up to decent-sized combos to always be in control of any fight. Obligatory, I played on the hardest difficulty statement. Wow, aren't you so sexy? You Pro have such gamer. a big dick. Oh my gosh. Miles is special because he has a cool electricity power that gives him cool powers. I said cool twice because it's cool. Such as a strong electrical punch or a move where he can launch a bunch of baddies into the air, incapacitating them. And then, my favorite move, punch the shit out of them in the air without moving. Yes. Physics. <laughs> <laughs> he also has an invisibility cloak, which is super helpful for thinning a crowd before starting a fight. Web swinging through New York City is easy and never ever gets old. Miles' friend Genki has a weird name, but is also super techie and creates an app that allows people to ask Spider-Man for help. This basically collects most side quests, and I liked this idea until I realized I had no interest in doing the side quests. Wow. The couple I did were very simple. Fetch quests, stop a bad guy, etc. This game is very similar to the first entry, and that's okay, but I have a couple complaints. Upgrades felt more expensive, that is, in-game tokens earned from doing activities, not real-world money, uh, and kind of difficult to get everything. Granted, I was playing on the hardest difficulty, but it, it definitely thinned how many tokens you could earn. However, at the end of the game, it becomes very obvious that the creators desperately want you to play the game on New Game Plus. You cannot unlock the final skill point in each of the three skill trees, the last upgrade for every tool at your disposal, I believe that's five or six tools, uh, the final upgrades to your suit, and a final suit without playing slash beating New Game Plus. That is most uncool. Really? You think that's Uncool. That is uncool. I don't want to play the same same story twice and call it replay value. But you can blitz it in like half as much time because you're OP as hell. Mm, not really. Yeah. I don't think so. The collectibles were kind of lackluster. Most activities end with a box containing a certain upgrade material. There were 35 boxes in total. However, there were two different missions that were really cool. One had Miles' uncle, Aaron, leading Miles around town, finding audio samples 
Miles' dad and his uncle Aaron collected a long time ago and mixed together to make a song. Another mission had Miles look for postcards his mom hid, and it tells a lot of memories she has of his dad. Uh, fantastic emotional beats on both missions. Besides these two things, all the other... All the other collectibles that you had to find uh, felt pretty bland and uninspired. Like I said, it's mostly just missions that end in a box that give you uh, a, a crafting material that more often than not you didn't have enough of to do with anyway. This game just oozes the vibe of being kind of rushed, which is tough to say, I say it with a question mark because it plays fine, it looks fine, it sounds fine. All of those things are good. It it just felt like it didn't have the same level of care the first game had. The story is shorter and there's less to do, even less interesting things to do. And I think that's why most people agreed that this felt like a really large DLC and certainly doesn't feel like a full length game. But wait! This reminds me of another game I played a bit this month. Oh god. Haha, <laughs> I'm sneaking to it again. I already made the thumbnail! Mission failed. We'll go next time. Into the Pit is advertised on Steam as a fast-paced retro FPS roguelite with an exclamation point. As a member of a family of lore-hunting mystics, you are summoned to a cursed to a cursed village drawn by rumors of a demonic portal. Dark magics have overwhelmed the village. It's up to you to rescue the survivors, grow your powers, and journey <gasps> into the pit. So you are basically in a space with a bunch of doors, each with a little icon over a bell. These bells all make the exact same sound, and each door has someone behind it that offer things, but you have to wait to be included in their things until you found enough settlers or survivors, as the, 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 the summary said to make these people interested in helping you. You go down a set of stairs to an altar, insert up to four modifying gems into sockets and a destination gem into the destination socket. The modifying gems are buffs or debuffs you apply to your run and other destination gems are bought from one of the guys back in town. When you start your run, you're placed in a room with eight doors divided into four sections, thus two doors per section. Each door offers a hint over it of what you will find inside. There are six, probably, different currencies you can collect for four, uh, you can collect for different reasons. Sometimes you will find a room to offer health in exchange for something cool, or another that has a healing pit, and some even have settlers waiting inside to be rescued. Before you start choosing rooms, you select your left and right hand weapons and a starting buff, all randomized. I always tried to make my left kind of snipey, my right kind of shotgunny, and always went for health, be bleh, health buffs because enemies hit pretty hard to begin with. You then start completing rooms. Each room you complete rewards you with power-ups or buffs, again randomized, including elemental effects to your weapons, increased move speed, the works. Four or five levels of four rooms to complete, and then you get a boss fight. Each room basically took one minute to finish, and at the end you get a recap, kind of like original Doom, with time elapsed, enemies killed or missed, and collectibles grabbed, etc. By my third run of the game. No wait, by my third run, the, 
the game had become simple to understand and a lot of fun to play. I just wish so badly that it had been given more time to bake. A term I heard from some of my favorite reviewers was bouncing around my head the whole time I was playing this game because the phrase finally made sense. This game looks like the screen was smeared with shit. <laughs> what? My guess is that the creators built it in a normal engine, turns out it was Unity, uh, and then did a couple quick cheap tricks to pixelate it to make it look or feel like a retro FPS. But it would have been better looking like a typical Unreal Engine basement built game. The sound design was less than bare bones, as evidenced by the single bell sound for every merchant and no voice acting. I'm pretty sure anytime I got hit by an attack, it was the same I've been hit sound effect. Insert golden eyes. <coughs> Jumping felt really floaty and wonky. Enemy AI had some rough path tracking, I guess you'd call it as a designer, uh, making them easy to kill, but also there were a couple of rooms that spawn you right next to an enemy. This would have been acceptable if there wasn't an obvious five second after spawning, five second delay after spawning of being unable to move. Mm, gross. Gah. This is probably the first time I actually loved the roguelite aspect of a game. It didn't feel like I was screwed by bad rolls. There's a chance to re-roll with one of the currencies, and I never did because I always felt like I could make, I, I, I could work with what I had rolled. It helped me be creative and not run the exact same build every time. I had to figure out how to make my rolls work instead of just doing the same thing over and over and over again. The shooting is fun. Building what kind of run with what buffs I want, etc. at the altar is great but the technical oofs made me lose interest pretty quickly. I think the game said there were 50 settlers to save. I found somewhere between five and 10 and I was all set. In closing, both games are fantastic concepts, but felt to, to their own different levels of underbaked and needed more love and care put into them. I got Miles Morales on PS5 for $25. It's usually selling for 50. And I played Into the Pit for free through Humble Bundle Monthly on Humble's Game Library app. Wow. So the first functioning in-game mirror was in Duke Nukem 3D, which came out in 96. Nice. Shiny. I've gotten close on a bunch of these. Yeah. Uh, Crazy shit. As previously mentioned, we are doing Cuphead Season 2 next month. I will be playing The Wolf Amogus. <gasps> part 1, I guess. The first game. I was also considering doing that because I did that like six months ago. Suck my balls. You don't get to. Ah, it's one of my favorite games. I know. It's my favorite Telltale game. It's so Crap. good. You're going to love it. I'm going to be reviewing Prey from 2016 or 17, the new version, which has nothing to do with Prey, the old game. Which actually looks like a solid game. Yeah. Um, I've, I've done some research on the original Prey, and it looks pretty freaking good, actually. I can't wait until Wolf of Mogus 2 comes out. I think that's sometime next year. You're going to lose a lot of money next year. Thankfully, you have saved a lot of money this year. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I have. 
Uh, so a big thank you to our patrons, uh, Jeff, Lorenz, and Caitlin. If you want to support this show, as well as our other artistic, quote-unquote, endeavors, <laughs> uh, you can check out patreon.com forward slash dime comic bros. Uh, the, the two of us, as well as our other buddy Colin, uh, host a podcast weekly called Dime Comic Bros, where we go over comic books, comic book movies, comic book movie news, blah, 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 other nerd shit. That comes out weekly, every Friday. It releases typically on Wednesday on Patreon. The three of us also do another podcast, Dime Comic Bros Happy Hour. Feels cheap calling it another podcast. It's like an additional segment, uh, which we do after doing Dime Comic Bros, where we just crack open a beer, have a mixed drink, maybe coffee, depending on what time of the day it is, talk about a random topic or five, uh, reminisce about weird stuff. Who knows? It's a crazy party, and that is exclusive to Patreon. And then this podcast, if at all possible, will also release on Patreon early. We can't promise that because this podcast is all over the place all the time, but we do try. So if it gets done early, it gets dropped on Patreon. Uh, and other things involved, aside from all the exclusive and early access content, involves sketches done by our buddy Colin. There are samples of his art on Patreon, as well as his Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can just get a sketch done by him. It's a little 4x6 done in pencil. Uh, you get a bunch of stickers that includes Dime Comic Bros and Dime Gaming Bros stickers, and whenever we update or make new stickers, you will also get those ones as long as you are still a patron. You also obviously get your name shouted out, the typical Patreon thing. Um, so yeah, a big thank you to Jeff Lawrence and Caitlin for supporting this show, as well as our other stuff. Uh, be a simp or a white knight. Be our, sh our white knight in shining, shiny armor and give us money so we can buy more games and not be completely bankrupt. Any questions? Spider-Man. <laughs> Micro-penis motorcycles. <laughs> no. Oh no, my turn. Hey. Yeah. I can do the, but I can't do the that you do. Yeah. Did you did you stroll up to my apartment with the exaggerated swagger of a black teen? <laughs> the way he leaps off of rooftops and flips backwards to face the camera before falling into a headfirst dive is just full of the exaggerated swagger of a black teen. Full of the exaggerated he swagger of a black teen. Full of the exaggerated swagger of a black teen. The black teen. I have no idea what you're memeing and I'm scared to say anything right now.